Recording from Boulder, Colorado on January 28th, 2017, it's Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt engage in discussion about pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. Ooh. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. <laughs> I'm your host, Ray Desimelli. I'm here with Dr. Zen, who is like my brother, one. Paul, and Hi. the greatest of all sinners, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Good How you guys doing? Good morning, dude. Well, so good. Fantastic. Well, it's been a little bit since we've uh, been able to do our podcast, and it's great to be with you guys again in late January and to get your thoughts on various matters. Hey, as a teaser, we have some great topics that I'm going to be posing to you guys today, including hmm. electronic personhood, Whoa. electronic walls. Mm. We're going to touch on the artist, artist Christo, mm-hmm. who's been active in Colorado recently, and I'm going to get your Super Bowl predictions. I can't wait for this podcast. Yeah, Whoa. so this is this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. But I want to get your thoughts first, Jeff, on just kind of the top of your mind. What's so, on top of your mind? Paul, uh, Dr. Zen, um, I'm here as your dear friend, mm-hmm. and I'm going to take a little bit of a chance with our friendship. Okay. Because you shared something with me, and I'm not sure it was for public consumption, but I think it can help all of us. Um, I have boundless respect for you, and I volunteered to hold you accountable for one of your most heartfelt uh, New Year's resolutions, because I know you're passionate about mm-hmm. New Year's resolutions. You shared with me that you are going to say to yourself, um, every day, in every way, I'm getting zenier and zenier, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering mm-hmm. how you're doing. I, thank you for sharing my private confession with our millions of <laughs> listeners. I, I do appreciate that. Um, I've wanted to get zenier and zenier, and zen, of course, means less is more because okay. we get rid of the extra. So more zen is more lessness, and I am getting more or less, more or less. That's great. <laughs> You're getting more or less, more or less. I guess. So, also, guys, I never notice how muck-encrusted my computer is until someone else is looking at my screen. And um, as they look on in mute horror, judging me, with their disgust palpable, I lie to them and and, uh, joke that I have two small children at home laughing nervously. (laughs) Does anyone share my problem with uh, computer hygiene? I, I do think this is not uncommon. In, in fact, we might even coin a term with screen shame or something like that. Because I think it's more common than not that, that, that when you show your laptop screen, you're showing somebody in the coffee shop or whatever, that there's that kind of horrific sense you have, oh my God, you then realize how dirty it is with all the finger stains and stuff like that. And the urge is to take your <laughs> shirt sleeve and buff it down and stuff like that. With one notable exception, I will say, because there is one person I know and love whose screen is always absolutely immaculate. And this is my wife, Mara, who's a mm-hmm. photographer, who's very keen on seeing true images on her screens, right. both her, her big, uh, big iMac and her laptop. And in fact, she's so militant about it that literally, I mean, if you were to touch her screen, she will lunge at your finger and virtually rip it from your hand. Ooh, and I've had this happen wow, to me. Wow, I've wow. had this happen to me. There's a lot to unpack in that. We'll mm. come back to that maybe at some other time. Wives um, ripping off fingers. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I would like to be the first one brave enough to call for a Shia LaBeouf uh, intervention. A Shia LaBeouf intervention? Yeah, right. Okay, okay. Um, I'm a fanboy. Yeah. Um, I think he's enormously entertaining and talented. Uh, just perhaps batshit crazy. <laughs> Um, and listen, perhaps there's nothing funnier on the internet uh, ever than Rob Cantor's actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. Uh, watch the live version uh, on YouTube with an all-star cast of performers, including the Gays Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. It's transcendent. You will not regret it. 
crazy funny and all out art, which is a lot like Shia. Mm-hmm. Shia? I think it's Shia. Am I, am I, I blowing that up? Shia. So, you know, in his life, and he's just all, he's blown up, he's all over the internet he's nowadays. He's a big star, big, big star. Um, what with the plagiarism accusation, sexual assault, mm-hmm. lunacy, recent off the deep end, he will not divide us, uh, anti-Trumpism. Uh, Shia desperately needs an intervention. I think that uh, Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners are the people to do it and to give it. Um, and uh, you know where I really loved him, where no one has ever seen him, is an eagle eye with an adorable and another great performance from Michelle Monaghan. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently he's also made a feeble attempt and stumbled into my world as to maybe trying to be dethrone me as the greatest of all sinners. Mm. I found this quote, which I do not know is his or not, but it sure sounds like it could be his. I found God doing Fury, the World War II tank or movie Brad with Pitt. Brad Pitt. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I became a Christian man, and not in a fucking bullshit way. In a very real way. <laughs> I would have just said prayers that were on the page, but it was a real thing that really saved me. Playa, please. Shia, bring it. You think you can be, you can dethrone me as greatest of all sinners? I say, bring it on, tough guy. But in the meantime, we're there for you. He found his genuine spirituality on the movie set? Oh, yeah. Is that that's okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. My money's on you, Jeff. You're the greatest. You're the greatest. <laughs> Yes. The, the the gauntlet has the gauntlet has been thrown though. The, the gauntlet has, has been, been issued, and, and has has the mantle been passed from Mel Gibson as the batshittest, craziest guy in Hollywood mm. to Shia LaBeouf? Well, and now that Mel has a, a nomination, that's a good point. It's a good point because um, you know I'm actually enormously proud of, of Mel Gibson's uh, what is it? Uh, his putting his life back together, mm. his trying to come back from the brink, and and Jodie Foster is one of the people that helped bring him back. Um, you know, he had hateful, horrible, horrific stuff poured into his ear by his dad for his whole life and uh, and has had that pour out of his life at some point in time, much to our horror, but um, enormously talented and had some people who cared for him, uh, really took care of him and, 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 and in ways that I, he's, he's enormously talented. He's an extremely yeah. gifted director and I think actor. And, uh, and so I believe that uh, we are probably uh, up to that task. We can do at, at what Jody did, I think, right? To Shia. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Well, the time may be nigh for he that listens. intervention. He listens to the show, I hear. Right? All right. Well, let's get together and uh, call him out, um, if we haven't already, which I think we have. Let's touch on our first topic of the day, which is uh, touches on a theme that we um, are not unfamiliar with in this podcast. It, it may be our it may be our our white whale, our white whale, our bet, our obsession, our obsession. Yeah, it has to do with kind of robots and artificial intelligence and the singularity and electronic personhood. In this case, mm. uh, just this week, a European Parliament committee voted in favor of a report that proposes granting legal status to robots. It actually categorizes them as a electronic persons. And I'm curious uh, what your guys' thoughts are from your perspectives. Electronic personhood, it sounds so odd. What does it mean to give robots legal status? What does it mean? I'm scratching my head about this. And I can't help but flashing this being a European dictation that 
back back to the AOC and DOC denomination controlled denominations that they have over there for wines and cheeses. Mm-hmm. So you've got a your reserve Chianti and your Chianti Classico. <laughs> so now are, are the are the robots you know hu- reserve humans and uh, and real humans <laughs> are Classico humans? I mean it's going that That's way, good. right? That's good. But it is a slippery slope, and I've got we've got with Citizens United, we've got these corporations or people. Now we're getting to the place where robots are people. And so my question to you, Jeff, as a lawyer would be, if a robot sued a corporation, could a human be the judge? Uh, I would be the judge. You would I, be the I'm, judge. I'm, I'm a, sinner, a sinner would okay. need to be Absolutely. the judge. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's certainly the truth. And, and it's an interesting twist on it because, you know, as far back, well, it's even back before that, but our conceptualization, a lot of this comes from Blackstone mm-hmm. and his commentaries on English law and that sort of thing where he would talk about, listen, you can't hold people responsible. You can't hold anything responsible for a crime unless they have a guilty mind, the mens rea to commit the offense. If a person had a seizure and struck you in the nose with their arm and and broke your nose, you could not hold them liable for a crime because they didn't have a guilty mind. It'd be no different than trying to hold a tree guilty of a crime by being blown in the wind and striking you across the face with a branch. Mm -hmm. And so we've always struggled a little bit with, okay, we get that regarding human beings, but there are these other things in our lives like pets and dogs and corporations and unions that, that can cause damage or can be sued or can have something happen and can they be held liable for a crime when they're not a human being or they're not a person. Mm-hmm. And so I think liability issues, uh, domestic relations laws, these oftentimes drive personhood status or some kind of legal status like they do with animals, pets, uh, those sorts of things where they're being granted more and more what we would call some kind of personhood because we have to be able to manage them somehow in a legal construct by non-property related law. And that's also going to happen with robots where they start to obtain legal status. I don't know what that means, that legal status. Is it personhood? I think they're gonna be very powerful Peter Singer types animal rights arguments where if robots are indistinguishable in meaningful ways from us, why wouldn't they have personhood in the same way as us as say a two-week-old human infant does where the two-week-old uh, human infant can't pass the Turing test mm-hmm. or a lot of the things that we're saying you need to have personhood to do. So um, I think those are interesting and profound issues. They're terrifying to me as well. I'd like to circle around and perhaps uh, talk about, again, some of the more important issues um, besides personhood. Um, uh, we're going to have to make some of these decisions amongst ourselves and in our culture. Like if guys are married, you probably can't have sex with a robot unless she looks like your wife or Donna Reed from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> see, that's permissible. Okay, right, that's that, the may be the pre- well, that may be the precedent we'll that see. you as judge may set. Right. Now, we've got the mens rea thing or whatever term you were using there for the world of human laws. Yes. And now, don't, can't we, don't we need to have a whole different domain of robot laws? And it really struck me a couple of weeks ago when I read that people are actually talking about Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics without attribution to it coming from the great science fiction writer who Come on. created them in the 70s or the 60s, Unfair. whenever it was, as if it were the basis of this evolving discipline of robot laws. You guys probably remember the laws. Number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection doesn't conflict with the first or the second law. And so why 
can't, why do we need to give them the personhood to, to adjudicate their actions with respect to these human interactions? Why can't we have robot laws to cover the robots and human laws to cover the, to, to, to cover the humans? And I want to end with a haiku. Wow. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> that is my question to you. I don't know if you have the answer, but the haiku perhaps will crystallize the issue for me. R2-D2 says, these are not the droids you seek. Nothing to see here. Wow. Lovely. That's profound. That is profound. Let me, off the top of my head, give the best quick answer I can to some of what you asked. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that one of the central tenets of all kind of law and jurisprudence is a conceptualization of equal protection. Um, and that would be violated in its definition, definitionally, by having a different set of laws. And we veer into this already with uh, separate evidentiary rules regarding like sex offenses and things like that. Things that scare us, things that trouble us, we make different rules to. Whereas by definition, it's probably an equal protection violation. So I'm troubled by that. And that's what's always constrained us. And maybe we are going to evolve past that. Maybe there will be separate but equal laws or treatments or whatever, but I actually think there's going to have to be some kind of marriage of them to make it jive with our, jive with our conceptualization of fairness and equality and the blindness of justice, those sorts of things. Very good. Well, we're going to have to move on from electronics personhood to electronic walls, because I want to get mm. your guys' thoughts on something. Uh, walls have been in the news very recently, uh, one in particular, the big one that will uh, separate United States and Mexico. Looks like it's on track. Looks like it's going to happen, or at least it's um, in the planning stages. Um, who pays for it? We don't know. But it occurred to me, just all of the sort of policy issues aside, just from a technical standpoint, it seems to me that there's would be a more efficient way to construct a wall <laughs> between us and Mexico <laughs> scientifically than to build a, you know, X foot tall physical wall. And that would be leveraging all of these great <laughs> surveillance technologies that are now available to us that we've come to know and, and despise. Eyes in the sky with the satellites, the cell towers communicating one to another, motion sensitivity, heat sensitivity, drones, artificial intelligence algorithms that can interpret, you know, uh, movements that might be humans versus those that might be geckos or something like that. Um, drones, you know, so it just seems to me that if we're going to try to put up kind of a security cordon across the southern border of the United States, it can be done in a much more, you know, efficient, high tech way. I want your guys' thoughts on this whole concept of the wall right. and, and its possible implementation in a, in a more technical way. There's so much to unpack from that. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I like the fact that you're maybe the first person bold enough because it's not necessarily politically correct to say, I want the effing geckos out of Because I'm sick to death of it. I'm sick to death. The gecko lobby is huge and they are mean. Maybe I'm just an old guy and I can say things that are politically incorrect, but they I, they drive me nuts and I hate them. I'd yeah. rather they not even be here. You and me both. Okay, but let's unpack more. Yeah. Because one of the wonderful things that you do as a service to not only the greatest of all sinners in, in Dr. Zen, but the nation, is that you choose the topics. Yeah. You, you, you try to curate that and you bring them to us. And there are occasionally, every couple of weeks, mm -hmm. there's this wonderful uh, subject matter that you suggest that is completely loony. And we have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about because 
you're you're talking about something that's very much not a wall in any way. It's not it's not descriptive as wall. It doesn't act as a wall. It can't be a wall. It's an alternative to a wall, and that's right. And that's maybe what you're saying. Yeah. But you're calling it electric wall. So you know, to me, uh, without some kind of deterrent or a way to act on it in some way, uh, it's merely we could hire a bunch of high schoolers that have one of those little round uh, aluminum clickers to click, <laughs> yeah. or, or low fences with a turnstile about every half mile. We just <laughs> click people through, count them up. So. Listen, walls have been had enormous utility throughout all human history. In fact, the fact of the matter is we, we can oftentimes define civilization, find old civilizations by certainly mm. habitation, but also their walls. Mm -hmm. And walls are there yeah. because they've been so necessary through all, all, almost all human history. Now, have we evolved past the point? And the answer is, is probably almost certainly not. There's no country that doesn't have some conceptualization of border crossings where there's at least it's managed or tried to be managed in some way. And and I know that the Dr. Zen is going to have a very different twist on all of that. But I think that 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 those ideas of listen, uh, there are at times where uh, places where a nation has to control who comes in and who comes out. Um, on the other hand, perhaps there's no other nation that's been more fluid about that conceptualization, much to our credit, than the United States of America. So again, Ray, so bright, I love you so dearly, have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> and, uh, and except that it's possibly a glimpse into a really weird dystopian nightmare movie where this would happen with drones and, and eye in the sky. Ray's working it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. Just trying to offer some thought. And you did challenge legitimately the fact that the concept sort of falls down unless you do have some deterrent effects. So I, I would think <laughs> that that would be kind of a corollary is that once you can identify somebody who's crossing illegally, then you might have a drone sort of thing that either takes a picture of them for, you, you know. <laughs> it just or, continues uh, to defend the yeah, idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm digging the hole even deeper, but at least I want it to be internally consistent as a, as a virtual wall with deterrent capabilities. I'm going to stop talking. Now, Dr. Thank Zen, you. Please Thank reflect you. on Walt. I've got to agree with Jeff on the fundamental <laughs> lunacy of the idea, Ray. I do appreciate you bringing it to us. And I think we're missing something, as Jeff was pointing out, with the E-wall versus a real wall. Listen, e -wall, I like that. good boundaries make good relationships between people, yeah. right? Good fences make good neighbors, mm -hmm. and good walls make good places to hang art. And we can't hang any <laughs> art on electronic wall, okay? Well, so yeah. come on, where are you going with that? It's okay. true. Serious for a second. We'll step back. Let's step back for a second. Just the idea of building a wall across the border, I think, is completely ridiculous. And I do disagree with Jeff on the necessity of this degree of firm border between nations. In fact, this causes separation between nations in a more globalized culture and society. And I think that more fluidity um, is probably serving the overall integration of cultures and the well-being involved. That's my feeling. That's my belief. I could be wrong about that. But I think if you do look uh, historically that the, the cultures that do put up big walls between one nation and another, one tribe and another, um, the, it, it's a policy and it's a mindset that is typically fed by anger, prejudice, and fear. 
and is a sign usually of a civilization, I would argue, that's in decline, not really one that is playing to its strengths or maybe perhaps even in its strengths. Mm. And an example you alluded to, Jeff, would be the Great Wall of China, which the biggest part of that and the, the major part of that was created around 200 BC by the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang. So Qin is where China comes from, is from this guy. Yeah, the Qin dynasty. And he actually was considered a tyrant, a nationalist tyrant, who was driven by fear, prejudiced, and... uh, and uh, an extreme bellicosity and an, an, an extreme, our tribe is the right one, you guys are the wrong ones. And it's that kind of mentality that I think is fuel, fueling the desire for the wall right now. So, is it a good idea? Mm, ah, not, not so sure. Maybe, you're, maybe, maybe your e-wall idea is a good one, Ray, and if we go with it, all I gotta say is let's get the Russians or the Chinese to do the coding. <laughs> oh, that's a low blow. <laughs> right. Well, it's either that or get the Mexicans to build the physical wall, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's that's right. the alternative. Right. consistent. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, hey, uh, you alluded to art. Art is our third topic here, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on um, something that's with local residents, the artist Christo, who creates these public installations. As many people now know, things like wrapping the Reichstag in a fabric and creating gates in Central Park um, had a, a project in production for a long time, which was to drape a portion of the Arkansas River up in the Rocky Mountains with a, a stretch of fabric or stretches of fabric. And he recently um, decided to cancel that project because um, he felt like he didn't want to support the, our, our federal government currently and the landlords thereof. So I want to get your reflections on you know how you feel about Christo's art and, and whether you regret the fact that uh, he's canceled it. I'm now a big fan of Christo. Back in my early days, the 70s and 80s maybe when he was coming up, you know, I thought this is just a crazy Frenchman doing these crazy installations. It's just, it's just a waste of time. But but having absorbed some of what he's done in some of the various installations, either photographically or in person, I think they're just marvelous. They're just amazing. They just give you a whole different sense of what the human being is like in to, in, in uh, relationship to landscape and in, in relation to big scales wow. of things and what art really is it's they're they're incredibly inspiring so I'm a big fan of him but I gotta say I'm struggling a little bit with his rationale for canceling this thing specifically on the Arkansas River and what I'm hearing is him saying that he in, in objection to the to the Trump administration now being in charge of the federal government who is the owner and thus the landlord of the space where he's going to put the installation. He doesn't want that landlord to benefit from the the, the joy and beauty of his art. And I, I don't think he's ever been talking about landlords before in any of his other installations. <laughs> and just to enter into that whole kind, kind of dynamic and rationale seems a little bit misplaced. So I'm really sorry. It's like, Christo, come on. I wish he would go forward with it. Well, I am also a huge fan of Christo, and I would almost say a grudging fan, because again, when, when, when I'm told of a Christo project, my first instinct is almost always, that's gonna be stupid. And I see it and I, I'm, and I say, that's profound. That's certainly art at some level. I, I mean, I certainly know it when I see it, and that seems to be it. It's, it's, I think that what he does is fascinating, but it also may be something in the past. I think that large-scale physical art projects likely will go the way of so many things that at one point in time were enormously popular or something that people paid a great deal of attention to, but things changed. Bear baiting used to be the number one sport in America. Wow. We used to spend a lot of money to watch two railroad engines crash into each other, which by the way, I would pay money to see. <laughs> but 
Um, we don't do that anymore. And, and I just think this is one of those things, and I, I think it's tough. Times and morals changed. Um, uh, the, the Denver Post had uh, described the Over the River Project um, as draping uh, propylene panels on bolt-anchored steel cables over 5.9 miles of a 42-mile stretch of federal land along the Arkansas River along Salida and Canyon City, which is which is beautiful, but it's also kind of bleak and stark, which was I think would have made it even more profound mm. a, as an art installation. And um, the project would take 27 months to put up, uh, two weeks as an installation in three months taking it down. And you know, the way that we make these things happen nowadays is we extract something from the artist to pay for it. It's, it certainly would have been a Kickstarter we could have done and a requirement to whatever damage was gonna happen or whatever things people were worried about. We do something to fund that or endow it in some way and have this beautiful thing that would have been I think very profound. It would have been lovely for Colorado. It would have been lovely for art. And again, it's been a 19-year project that he probably is desperate for some kind of honorable way to withdraw and retreat from this. Mm. So, you know, it does seem remarkably convenient and yet silly. How much more of a bully platform and pulpit would he have had for criticism of Trump if he had this enormously powerful art installation up? So again, I, I share the doc, I share Dr. Zen's disappointment and kind of his hat... It, ham-handed and hackneyed exit from the project. And you know what? I think that oftentimes this is a way for us to revisit it at some point in time where we can make all sides happy. I actually hope that does happen. Well, we'll see a rare moment of agreement between Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. Both feel Chris has made the wrong call in canceling the project. I'm going to make it three. I, too, regret it. I'd love to see it go up. And uh, we know that ours have uh, mercurial personalities. This is a fairly fresh decision on Christo's part. Uh, if he's listening, we may yet sway him in the same way that uh, presumably we will positively impact Shia LaBeouf's <laughs> life with an intervention coming soon. There's supposed to be surprises, though, aren't they? So now I've, we've ruined that surprise. <laughs> It'll work. It'll work. Guys, it's time for Super Bowl predictions. Don't know if we're going to get another podcast in before the event itself, which is ne next Sunday. If we do, you'll have a chance to change your prediction, but we're going to get it now. And it should be noted, it must be noted, that one of you has been extremely effective in sports predictions. And let me inter interrupt here real quick because yes. we love Paul. Yes. He's super smart. Yes. We're not saying that I'm smarter because I yes. get them all right. Jeff. And because I... Jeff, so, yes, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, it's actually Paul that's been uh, spot on in predictions with college baseball and World Series. And, and, I've been, like, and you've been every, spot off. Every single one. <laughs> Everyone wrong. wrong. Yeah. Okay. So we are that's here. We are here to listen to Dr. Zen's Super Bowl prediction uh, it, 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 with, with uh, open ears yeah. because he has been much better at but it. Jeff's going to go first. But Jeff's going to go yeah. first. Okay. Lay it on. So um, much to the chagrin of the Atlanta Falcons, I uh, predict the Atlanta Falcons winning by three. <laughs> See, okay. Right. And uh, <laughs> although the Patriots uh, have statistically the best defense in the league, um, uh, Atlanta has an offense for the ages. Um, Kyle ha Shanahan is a genius, I believe. Um, my biggest worry is that something akin to the 2013 Broncos statistically were, a de were an offense for the ages yeah. and were just crushed by a truly formidable defense in the Seattle Seahawks. And you know, I guess it could happen again, uh, certainly since I picked them. Uh, the Falcons <laughs> will rush for and get to Brady just enough. The Patriots' D will stop the Falcons, but not enough. But what I'd like to, to riff on just a second here is to talk to you a little bit about something that I've noticed in sports. See if you guys notice to see if it, it's, and it's actually kind of diminished some of my appreciation for sports. And that is 
And I believe that sports has started to suffer a little bit because athletes have become so amazing, so gifted, so athletically talented that it's hard to tell at times who's winning and losing within the play because everything is so tight. Mm -hmm. um, it, some of the joy was lost for me of the national championship game between Clemson and Atlanta because of the fact that they had those two pick plays that really kind of determined the game. Right, it was a lovely right. game. It was a great game, but that diminished it a little bit for me. If you look at old footage of sports, there is such space between players. When you look at hockey, there's this dance and that sort of thing, and certainly there's collisions, but the clutching and grabbing and all of those sorts of things that they actually legislated out of hockey, thank God, is now, I think, endemic in, in particularly basketball and football, where if you watch the snap and there's a wide receiver and there's a defensive back, someone... Uh, guarding them, they, from the second they're off the line, are clutching, hand-fighting, grabbing, and then the ball comes, the wide receiver pushes off, the defensive back is holding, and they both <laughs> whack at each other like a, a super sped-up Bruce Lee kung fu scene. And, you know, watching the Seahawks in that playoff game that we just saw just a couple of weeks ago, clutch and grab, um, it made it a bit unwatchable for me. It stole just a little bit of the joy from me. And so I'm interested. But what I want to talk about a little bit also is one of my favorite things is Super Bowl ads. And, and, and casting my mind upon Super Bowl ads, it... it it, 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 I can't help but think that kids nowadays are mollycoddled in a way that's very upsetting to me. Because when I was younger, there was no thought at all. It wouldn't have occurred to anybody to go to a doctor if you had a multi-hour erection. <laughs> I, think, I think it's shameful. I had an erection that lasted throughout most of my entire sophomore year of high school. I toughed it out. It wouldn't have even occurred to me to go to a doctor. So, so you're talking about the disclaimers on the Cialis and the Viagra. Oh, sure. Yeah. So they what a bunch of babies. Right. Oh, well, it's the softening of the culture, <laughs> apparently. Okay. I think we, so, we may know we, we know why Jeff is obsessed with personal space in the, in the wide receiver <laughs> Sure. Defensive backfield. He needs that. He needs that space. <laughs> All right, Doctor Doctor Zen. The accurate prediction of the Super Bowl winner is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm good. I just really much appreciated how, how Jeff said all the reasons why New England was going to win and then went with Atlanta <laughs> just for his heart. And my heart is also with Atlanta ever since really watching with delight how the Broncos destroyed the Falcons in the 1999 Super Bowl. I've been somewhat, you know, somewhat rooting for the for the Falcons as eternal underdogs because um, they really have underperformed in, in the 18 years since. So actually, I would love for them to do well, but I've got to go in with the consistency and the defensive strategic genius, really, of Belichick and crew, and I think defense is going to win the championship here. They're going to find a way to neutralize Julio Jones in the same way they found to neutralize Antonio Brown on the Steelers, and Brady is a man on a mission, as we all know, so I am going to go with New England 30, Atlanta 24, Patriots beat the spread. Wow. Mm. For the record, I am going to, and in the spirit of um, uh, not learning one's lesson, I suppose, um, I will join with you, Jeff, as I I'm have so in the on, on what is destined at ah. this point to be a wrong prediction. Falcons 38, Patriots 31. All right. Okay, as I said, we may get a chance to revisit these, uh, but if not, those are stamped into the record, and the winner will receive a special prize of some sort. Let me hit you with some closing thoughts. Please do. I? Please do. So um, there are times when I use my socks as a napkin. Mm. Um, do you mm. do that as well? Because I've not seen anyone else do it, or do you think much less of me now? Question. Are the socks clean or dirty? 
Uh, they were clean before. <laughs> I started clean. Okay, then I'm going to go with not shameful. And I'm with you, brother, because I use actually dirty dish rags as napkins on occasion. Whoa, he's always got to one-up me. Uh, wow, okay. So do I use socks as napkins and do I think less of you, Jeff, for doing so? No and yes. That's good. Ouch. I feel good about Ouch. that. All right. And so in our in our attempts to, again, make our audience as diverse as possible from a gender perspective, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some uh, women's issues because there's no one better uh, as the greatest of all uh, feminists as well as the greatest of all sinners. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, to talk about indeed. some of these sorts of things and yeah. to circle around and and you know I felt my best of 2016 lists were a little weak just because I hadn't seen enough mm-hmm. uh, and, and I wasn't able to really talk intelligently about most of the films. One that I did see that now has become my favorite movie at the top of my list of 2016 is actually Brooklyn, yeah, and uh, okay. mm-hmm. and the story of an immigrant girl who comes from Ireland into America and um, and Brooklyn. Movies like Brooklyn, moments throughout Brooklyn that remind me how absolutely lovely as a gender most women just are in a way that I'm sure sounds a little politically incorrect and a little strange and makes people uncomfortable. But I was just struck with uh, it just and it wasn't because they were uh, feminine and quiet and and those sorts of things. There were moments of, of real conflict and struggle and of course instances where women were being terrible to each other but it was a lovely film in every way and the female characters the, the there's some some moments between sisters and mom and 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 uh, daughter and and uh, young lovers that were just i thought transcendent and was super fun to to watch if i might just uh, riff on that yeah. i also saw a movie recently with a female lead who was uh, transcendent even uh, incandescent at mm. times uh, uh, the movie's american honey stars sasha lane a non-professional actress in the lead role interestingly enough unplanned uh, coincidence shia labeouf is the second lead essentially he's and everywhere He's everywhere. I love that guy. He's so hot he right is now. everywhere, including in this podcast. But um, uh, yeah, good movie. Highly recommended, and, and also a, a great lead performance by the uh, the the uh, girl, the teenage girl, uh, young girl who plays the lead. And so I'm going to give open up a couple of new segments that we might may or may not, mm-hmm. depending upon how they work in, in this uh, particular podcast. Um, I'm going to start with Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon's Holy Grails. Uh, these are things that are either items. Ideas, songs, uh, mysteries that have to be, that I need to have explained. They're challenges, they're obsessions. They're, they're worth questions. chasing, okay. and, and I have okay. not been able to solve them, and I'm, I'm depending upon our legion of fans uh, to help me fun, help me solve. So another movie that I thoroughly enjoyed, and, and just freaked out about, loved it, was The Accountant, mm-hmm. which from a premise perspective makes no sense Absolutely at all. A high-functioning, <laughs> autistic, super-secret ninja accountant super spy or uh, whatever he is. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a moment where, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but he has a, a secret uh, man cave that's an Airstream trailer where he has all of these amazing things that help him be, of course, this high-functioning, autistic, super-secret <laughs> ninja spy <laughs> accountant. And, uh, and there's a drawer full of gold and a drawer full of passports, and there's a drawer full of comic books and baseball oh, cards. Wow. And I'm a baseball card uh-huh. and, a, and a comic geek. And uh, the, the set dressers did fantastic. There were the things that you would expect to see as a, as a dream drawer, a dream geek drawer. Uh-huh. There's the Honus Wagner T206. It's a $2 million-plus uh-huh. baseball card, and there was Action Comics number one. Uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. the loaf hanging fruit. It, uh, <laughs> 
the cheap. Uh, but that's you know that's a two million dollar comic book in there. Mm-hmm. But to the left of it was a comic that I could not identify. I stopped the film, uh, much to my wife's chagrin, and reached <laughs> to my uh, my bedstand where I have uh, amongst all of the pile of books we've talked about that in the past yeah. is also I have a copy of the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide. Oh, of course, okay. like, well, we yeah. Yeah. Book by your like we all do. Like we all do. Just <laughs> and and I could not find the comic. It mm-hmm. looked like it was it was called American Comics. Mm-hmm. It was a ten center. And it had uh, some super villain or superhero um, in the upper right, and we could see that person, and that person was engaged in conflict with someone who was pointing probably a Tommy gun or something at them. He was standing on a uh, maybe a built skyscraper, a metal I beam, and I, here's the here's the holy grail. I want to find out. I did some internet looking, and yeah. people were talking about the Batman egg, uh, okay, um, Easter eggs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, child's play. We're talking about master's class here. Ooh. So American comics looks like it was 1940s. Uh, they don't even know. I mean, they re- they think 1940s Liberty Theater, Grand Rapids, Michigan, where they tore off Whoa. a popular comic, some of them being like Superman uh, 59, uh, Captain Marvel 2021, 20, that sort of thing, and then put their own promotional cover on it, I think. I see. But okay. because of that, I can't find whether or not it would what. Episode, what number is it? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and is it real? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it manufactured? Did they mock it up? Right. So <laughs> to me, it's my it's a it's a fun little holy grail to try to find out what comic book it was and, and whatever information they could give to well, us. Well, let's make this an official call out to our listeners who want to help Jeff find this grail to All land of humanity this find it. It's not just whale. helping me. <laughs> what what is the comic uh, set in the movie The Accountant? And uh, is it real? Was it was it invented? Uh, what's its worth? And so forth. Let's get folks that we could call out to our own group of Baker Street Irregulars to go out and, and find this and report back. And, and perhaps we, we need to offer a prize of some sort to somebody who gets the actual, who can what solve about, this mystery. What about being able to go out to, um, what's the place that we started all this out, Sun? The, the, the Mountain Sun uh, Mountain Brewery Sun. in South Boulder. We we take them out yeah. for uh, you know drinks at the at the Mountain Sun if they want to. Jeffrey Lawrence Weed, the greatest of all sinners. I, th- I think that's appropriate. The original Holy Grail. You come and you revitalize English civilization. And I so think that's a, is, let's make that oh, the let's, official. Let's hoist a uh, hoist a beer. Let's do it. Okay. Now the women's corner, the greatest of all sinners, women's corner, okay. which is so important. Interesting. So I just finished uh, the book, Me Before You, of course. <laughs> okay. Jojo Moise, uh-huh. please. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. Aimed directly right. You know, I'm right in the bullseye Ish. of that. Uh, Ish. Sure. I'm not exactly sure you are the target hmm, demographic really? for that particular. But I mean, as far I, as I know, I, I haven't read it, but I think it's more aimed for sort why of did teen you or 20-something uh, girl. It was women. recommended by a female friend of uh-huh. Tommy okay. and mine, and, right. and, I, and that's one of the ways I love to try to connect with people is yeah, if they have a book sure. or an interest or something like that I yeah. read it I listen if you got a band you love I listen to it if you got a team you like yeah. I follow it okay. it's kind of a way for me to connect with people right. um, didn't really work with me before you <laughs> yeah, so, yeah didn't it, actually uh, right uh, right and, and, well. uh, maybe you were not the target uh, uh, well I'm not sure audible.com recommended the, the fall to our stars next <laughs> <laughs> <Should> I, <laughs> and that's that? telling that is telling yeah so I think uh, well depending on how you like the uh, me before you, you could decide whether to move on to the fault. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I want to leave you with this. Perhaps one of the most profound things you've ever heard. Um, I was flying back from uh, uh, the Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where I teach. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at the, at the George Washington University. I know it's so difficult 
for our audience because so much of what I say is just absolute garbage and lies, but this is actually true. And uh, where I teach at a master's program in law firms management, yeah. uh, teach leadership communication, talking and that sort of stuff, yeah, super fun. For the College of Professional Studies, we're flying back. We're flying back to Denver. Mm-hmm. Denver has sometimes very inclement weather, very difficult weather when you're flying in. But it, it almost, I've never had a flight de- even delayed all that much. It just, uh, they're good at it, they know what to do, we have a lot of technology, but we, Spun around and spun around. We were in a holding pattern for a long time, so much so that they announced now nearly five hours in the air, people not able to go to the bathroom and that sort of thing because oh, the wow. uh, the sign is on saying you got to keep your seatbelts on. Did they give you free drinks? Sign. There were no free drinks. No free drinks. There was none of that. You know, it was Man. awful. Jeez. And 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 people are upset. And yeah. Even some of them are kind of scared. And they're yeah. like, listen, if we if we get hell of one more time, we're actually going to fly to Colorado Springs mm-hmm. and have to fuel up and come back. And so people are super nervous. And and I just had this amazing moment because I looked out the window. And out the window were just these lovely, beautiful, white, fluffy clouds <laughs> and this incredible streaming sunlight. And and just to be possessed for that moment with the idea that, you know, in the midst of all of this turmoil and this difficulty, it's always sunny above the clouds. That it's always sunny above the clouds. <sighs> it's always sunny above the clouds. I'm a little weepy, Dr. Zen. <laughs> Tears are being shed. It's, it's a lovely image. It is profound. It's the most profound thing you've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're going to tell me something that has been contemplated by people for the last it, thousands it, of it years. It actually is a classic Zen image. You're, not, you're, you're, Zen, you're a Zen man. I knew that you're a true Zen man. I knew that It is good. the clouds in the, image, in the Zen image. It's that the clouds of our obscurations, which is our, our negative emotions and our thought stream, is keeping us from experiencing the glow of our true nature, which is always there, but we just don't experience it. Mm-hmm. And a li- real quick story about my teacher. Early in his Zen career, practicing Zen with his teacher, Soshu Roshi, in London in the 1960s. And walking down the street, London being London, it's overcast, it's dark, it's rainy. My teacher, being in his mid-20s and being somewhat depressed because his father had recently passed away, shared his bleak mood with his teacher. And his teacher said, the sun is always shining. And my teacher was kind of having none of it. And said, yeah, where? And Soshu Roshi turned around and punched him in the gut. What? Whoa! <laughs> and he said, right there. The point you, you being, it inside. it's inside. The glow is inside. Your wow. divinity is inside. Your true self is inside. It's always shining. He could have done that with a hug. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm just saying. <laughs> and so, true dad. Those are more words of wisdom, perhaps ones to end on. Fantastic to be talking with you guys today. We'll talk again <laughs> next podcast episode of Dr. Zen and the greatest of all sinners. Group hug, guys. Group hug. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye.